Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Covenants Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today I'm delighted to have as my podcast guest is Blish Hughes, who is the Chief Executive, of the relatively new Chief Executive of the Charities Institute of Ireland. Blish, maybe it might be helpful for, I know a lot of people know about Charities Institute, but it is a relatively new organisation. Maybe you might give us some sense of the role and the work of Charities Institute. Sure. Um, well, lovely to be here, Dermot, and thank you for the invitation. CII is actually a result of a merger of two organisations, uh, the Institute of Fundraising and the Irish Tax Research Group came together in 2016 to form one organisation to champion um, a particular cohort of of charities and our mission is to provide leadership to the sector by empowering charities to maximise their impact, particularly through best practice governance, financial reporting and fundraising. You might just fill us in a bit of your own background because it's like a lot of us that end up in the charity sector, we've taken a circuitous route there. But give me a bit about your roles to date and how you ended up as chief executive of yeah. this relatively new organisation. This is my first role in the in the charity sector and as you said, I'm quite new so I just joined CII in April 2019 and like many others, I've had experience in a number of different sectors. Started my career in IT, moved into uh, professional services and, and professional bodies, um, had, had a very, very brief career in uh, fund accounting, which is just as well that it was brief on, on both sides, uh, then worked in the legal sector and back into professional bodies. So ACCA, almost half of my career was with the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants. Which is a membership-based organisation, yeah. not too dissimilar to the type of role you're, you're doing now. No, and that's kind of what attracted me to the CII role. Um, I was very keen, I, you know, I had got to a stage in my career that I was halfway through and I wanted to do something uh, a little bit different but I wasn't entirely sure what that was and I felt that I had a lot to offer in terms of stakeholder management and relationship management and, and that type of experience and experience of professional bodies but I didn't necessarily want to stay doing the same thing and I was really keen to change sectors and after a lot of soul searching, a bit of study, a bit of reflection, I realised that purpose in my career was possibly the number one factor in in the next role and I came across the CII CEO role as did a number of people and they sent it to me and, and kind of went we think this could be the role for you so that's that's what happened and the rest as they say is history. Something that we get all the time you know when people are looking at from the outside in think well Carmichael and the wheel and charities you're all the same but we know of us are in it we can see a lot of points of difference so for you, what are the, the sort of the key differences in terms of the, what the Charities Institute do that other organisations in the sector, support organisations in the sector may not focus as much or are to the same extent? I suppose the background and, and looking at the organisations that were involved in the merger kind of hinted at uh, where our strengths and where our focus lie. So we would predominantly work with, with members who would have a reliance on fundraised income. So fundraising would be a very, very important part of their overall business operation. And generally, it's the it's the more complex organisations that we'll work with. So, by that nature, 
Uh, we have 200 members at the moment. Our goal is to have possibly 300 members um, and it's very much a, I suppose, a, a community of like-minded members who face similar challenges like those issues around fundraising, around governance um, and, and best-in-practice management. So our focus would be narrower in terms of, of the members and, and who we work with and very much looking at that fundraising element and the, the complexity of the organisation. I think that's always put to me quite regularly when I'm out talking to people that may not know me or, and ask where I work and I say I work in the charity sectors and uh, sort of almost inevitably a lot of people would say not a lot of problems in the charity sector with governance and issues or like that and I would sort of say well there are 10,000 charities and can you name me 10 charities that, that you can think of that have had problems but, but there is a perception out there that there are issues around trust confidence in the sector and, and given the nature of the sector it is particularly important that we tackle it. What sort of things do you see as challenges and opportunities in 2020 for the charities in terms of building and sustaining trust and confidence in the sector? Well I think one of the, the challenges that we all have, Carmichael and uh, CII included, is explaining the size and scale and the importance of the charity sector to Irish society. So when I joined the sector I, I didn't have you know, the same level of awareness that there's nearly 200,000 people working in the sector. As you said, there's, there's over 10,000 charities. So if you think about it, there are a quarter of a million people working in foreign direct investment companies in Ireland. So that's only 60,000 more than are working in the, in the charitable sector. And I think the other thing that's, that's important for your listeners and, and the general public to appreciate is that charities permeate all aspects of society. So whether it's mental health, whether it's animal welfare, whether it's environmental, there are hundreds Hundreds of thousands of people, volunteers included, doing tremendous work to make our society a better place. So that's one of the challenges that I think that we have is making people more aware of the size and scale and contribution of the, the charity sector. And that's something that we would be conscious in CII to communicate. And I know you are as well. So it's important that we, I suppose, we all embrace the, the role that we have in explaining the, the actual role that charities play in Irish society. I suppose there's lots of opportunities and, and challenges in, in 2020. If I look at CII, CII's role, you know, you're looking at, at funding and not just for CII, for all charities. So funding for all organisations is its a very, very big issue. And it's not, I suppose, it, it's never, you never know that you're going to get the same funding, whether that's government funding or whether it's fundraised income. I think charities live in, in, a, in a precarious kind of state, state of mind. So that would be one of the issues that, you know, we would be championing in terms of, more strategic funding for the sector, you know, multi-annual funding, because charities are like any other organisations. They need to plan, they need to be strategic, and they need to look ahead. And that can be very, very challenging when you, you know, when you actually don't know what sort of a budget you have for the uh, for the following year. Other things that you know we're coming across, our members are mentioning to us is that charities in the way that they, you know, they're, they're constantly d- diversifying. They're looking at ways in which they engage with their stakeholders and their donors. And um, one of the, I suppose, one of the challenges that everybody has is how do you, how do you build that relationship with your donor base uh, throughout the generations? So we have the advent of social media and that's been 
that's been a fantastic innovation um, for society and you know there's pros and cons with everything but what we're finding is that the younger generation they might be more inclined to be social activists rather than than contributors but they're very very engaged they want to support they want to help so it's how do you tap into that energy and and how do you maintain the I suppose the the passion that that existing charity supporters have and making sure that charities communicate this story they let the general public they let the donors they let their stakeholders know exactly what they're doing because no other sector has as impactful stories to tell than the, the charity sector. And I think if we all improved telling our own story and sharing that with as wide an audience as possible, we'd, uh, you know, we'd certainly be in a, in a stronger position. Yeah, definitely, I think the need to be better at telling our stories and the stories of the thousands of charities there and the impact that it has had is, is an ongoing challenge. And it is one that all charities have to put number one and their sort of goals for 2020 is how do we improve that one of the things again and, I, and i'm and asking because given given the role of cii in that you'd be in the spotlight from time to time is you get a lot of pushback from members of the public saying oh i, I want to give my money to a charity that spends it directly on the cause that i am contributing to i don't want this all this money to go over heads and ceo salaries and that sort of thing that is that is a sort of a, a perception out there that the money is wasted or there's too much going on in overhead. How would you react and how would you communicate to the, the sort of the, those that would have concerns about where the money goes? Well, I think trust and trustworthiness and transparency is so important for any sector and particularly for the charity sector when it's intrinsically linked to to purpose. But I completely agree with you. You know, I think a lot of people assume that if you work in a charity, you're independently wealthy and you're a volunteer and and you actually don't need a salary. But everybody who's working in, in a charity is no different to the people who are working in the public and private sector. They have mortgages, they have rent, they have grocery bills, they have uh, children's education. They, you know, they're the exact same as everybody else, and they they should be rewarded and re- remunerated in in a similar way. And you know, when you're talking about CEO salaries, and that that does come up an, an awful lot, you want the best people running your organisation. So, like we did some research into trust last year. And the general public said, yes, we want the very, very best people working for us because the work that charities do is so valuable and you're you're helping the most vulnerable in society. But then on the flip side of that, they're kind of going, but we don't necessarily want to pay for it. So that's an issue. So you you want the public to realise that the CEOs who are working in charities are highly skilled and highly trained professionals. They're responsible, and you know, in our case, they're responsible for organisations with high turnover, with high volumes of staff that are very, very complex charities. So you really want to have the best people working in those organisations and they have to have the the right skills and expertise to bring to that particular role. So I would, I suppose I would encourage people to, you know, before they, they, you know, come out with kind of a sweeping statement, just to think about the people that they know working in charities and do they expect them to do that for nothing? And I think the answer would be, Absolutely not. You had um, Dan Palota over recently again doing doing some um, master classes with the sector. But one of the, his big thing is don't look, focus on the overhead. Think uh, focus on the impact. Yeah. And I think that message is looking at the, Im- the impact and the difference that the charities are making. 
and that the fact that you cannot deliver any sort of service without incurring costs. So if you are in one of our groups here at Huntington's, they provide nursing relief support services, nurses have to be paid. You know, not as, as caring as nurses are, you know, they, 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 they need to be paid for their services. So all of these sort of things need to be put into context. And if you want charities to be transparent and open, that costs money too because you need to employ accountants, you need to prepare reports. So again, I think part of the thing for us in the sector is to, as we said earlier, get the story out there, but also being able to tell a compelling story about the impact and the difference and where the money goes and why we need to spend money on training volunteers, for yeah. instance, you know, um, and training staff because you don't want to have a, no matter how dedicated and committed, inexperienced or um, Ill- ill-equipped or ill-trained person to provide a valuable service. So it's one of those ones that sort of, get, with those in the sector, we get, we get a little bit frustrated, but I think part of the problem is ourselves and being able to communicate that and to be able to be robust and understanding of the concerns people might have, but robust and say, well, how do you deliver service without incurring costs? And that is an ongoing challenge, I think. And I think part of the problem, too, is, is, is the fixation that, say, the media might have. I, I think that that, that definitely is, um, is a challenge. And, you know, charities are like... They're like any other organisations. They, you know, as you said, they would. There'll be nurses working in them. There'll be social workers. There'll be volunteer managers. There'll be accountants. And all of those people are working to solve some of society's most challenging issues. And they need the right tools to get the the job done. And that requires investment. And it's investment in training. So today, um, you know, we're running a session on GDPR. We all know how important it is to uh, be, be compliant with data protection as, uh, you know, our, our members need to need that compliance as well. But charities need to invest in communicating their message in marketing and fundraising so the more people are aware of a particular organization the more they have an opportunity to to donate to that organization and that's an investment back in into the charity and that investment back in the charity enables it to do more so i would encourage donors and the general public to see it as an investment so they're making an investment but the charity is also making an investment in their ability to help the help their service users and stakeholders i would agree entirely and, and i think we're not asking for a free ride we have to be held accountable yeah. because we are receiving support and donations from the public and from the taxpayer so there is an obligation on us to be transparent but yeah. there is also a, i think it's a bit of an obligation on people to look at what the charity and there are some charities that do need to improve and um, we, we wouldn't sort of condone poor practice or bad practice or illegal practices. Um, to move on to looking at the sort of the, 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 the charity sector in general, what sort of things would you suggest? What would be your sort of top tips for improving the effectiveness of, of charities to make them more successful? Because part of the thing, is, as you mentioned earlier, is there's a, quite a wide variety of charities. When we say 10,000 is a big number and we say there's almost 200,000, but within that, there is a wide range of types, small scale capacities, purposes that they're d- doing. So in t- general terms, what sort of would be your sort of suggestions or, or guidance to, to charities to be, to be better at what they're set out to do? I think um, the, the number one priority is ensuring that you are delivering your, your charitable purpose and that everybody who is involved in your, your, your charity is behind that, whether it's the board, whether it's staff, your donors, that, that, that there's complete understanding of who you are and, and what you're doing. 
I think the number one issue for for charities, it, you know, it, it's it's related to the people agenda. I think we're all we're all very conscious that we're at full employment and we need to hold on to the, the great people that we have working in our organisations. So as we know, it's hard to remunerate people in the sector, but are there other ways in which we can motivate and, and empower and retain our people? You know, you look at um, you look at innovations in terms of work practices, and I think charities are, I suppose, first off the mark, and they can be very innovative and have been traditionally when it comes to flexible working, when it comes to remote working. The, the corporate sector are probably getting in in the game a little bit more, so I think that's an area that we have traditionally owned, and it's how else can we, how else can can we innovate in that space by ensuring that we're providing a a great place to work in terms of working arrangements, in terms of the type of work. If you look at what people do in in, in charities, you know, we were joking about our database the other day and you'll have a fundraiser, you'll have a volunteer manager, you'll have a head of communications and a head of legacy and they will generally be the one person. So they can often be the one person. So working in a charity you do get that broad experience and that's that's very very appealing to people as well so I think managing the the people agenda is very very important I suppose the other thing that's you know coming down the tracks and it's it's uh, the year of comply or explain when it comes to the CRA governance code is I would encourage all charities to, to get on board that process as, as soon as possible um, and you've done a lot of work in this Dermot and you're I think you had the first podcast on the requirements and made it much more accessible for people. It's not to shy away from, I suppose, the, the regulations that are coming down the track. It's to engage with them and it's try, trying to, to work with them. We are now a regulated sector and that it brings an, an additional burden in terms of reporting and compliance. But when we were talking about trust and transparency, it will give the public, who are one of our most important stakeholders, that assurance that we are now operating in a regulated environment and that the levels of trust in charities should increase. So I would encourage all charities to, to very much uh, get on board that uh, that journey and don't kind of bury your head in the sand when it comes to compliance because the sooner you start to address your obligations, the more effective you'll be. I know and we plan to talk a bit in more detail later but you've been in the process of setting out your strategic plan for the next number of years so what would the focus be for for CII over the next three to four years? Well I think one of the things that we wanted to be very clear about was the the composition of our members so uh, you know we've set that out we are we are working with a very defined number of members and as I said it's it's those charities that you know have significant amounts of income generated have a tradition in in that fundraising base and are you know are also looking to deliver best in practice in everything that they do so number one um, in our strategy is is developing that community of members and making sure that we're working with them to deliver the services that they need so education is I suppose it's core to what 
everything that we do and two of our most popular programs the certificate in fundraising and the diploma in fundraising they've been gaining popularity in the last number of years we're trying to well we are um, increasing our digital capability in those areas and enabling us to to reach more students and to allow students to engage with each other online we actually ran the the certificate in uh, fundraising in Cork so we're hoping to increase CII's footprint um, outside outside Dublin and get to the the larger centres and and support our members there. We will always be very aligned to the triple lock, which is a, you know a kind of principle that CII developed um, in the last number of years, which was you know looking at what does a great charity look like, what are the elements that that you'd like to see. As, as a member of the public, as a government department, as a donor, etc. And they were very much around the, those three principles of best in practice, financial reporting, fundraising, management and governance. So that's our triple lock. So we conti- will continue to, uh, to promote that, like communicating and championing the sector, talking about the, the impact versus overhead agenda will be really, really important to us as well. And the other thing that we have coming down the, the line in 2020 and hopefully beyond is that we are, are introducing an annual conference. Um, so that's happening on the 1st and 2nd of October. So we have a day uh, dedicated to fundraising on the 1st of October. We'll have our Charity Excellence Awards that night and then we'll have a, a leadership day on the, the 2nd of October. That's going to be you know, a, a massive project and undertaking for the team. Other issues that you know we'll continue to look at will be VAT compensation scheme, and I think we're all we're all behind that, and and you know trying to look at that five million pot and see if we can get it increased, and just tax reform generally to to make it more attractive for individuals to contribute to their favourite charity. A busy few years ahead for yeah. you. Question I put to my guests here um, to give you three wishes for the charity sector. What would they be? I think the number one wish would be to build greater awareness and understanding of the the role the charities play in Irish society. I think that's huge for for all of us. I also would like to instil a greater sense of pride for people working in the sector. Like all these wonderful people who we're working with and who work in the sector, they are doing tough, tough jobs. And I think we need to be more appreciative of the work that they do. And they should be very proud of the contribution that they make. So being proud of what you do and not being afraid to say you work for a charity. Yeah, I work for a charity and I'm really glad I do. And look at what I do. And then it's that impact piece. So telling telling the stories of our members and the the. The, the difference that ma- they make on a day-to-day basis. I've really enjoyed get, getting your thoughts on, on, on the challenges and opportunities for the sector. And uh, as you say, there's a lot, there are more opportunities and challenges. We'll always will have challenges, but I do think we're getting to an exciting stage in the development of the professionalism of, of the sector in terms of better compliance, better transparency. And I would echo that thing about the sector needing to get much better at telling its story, warts and all, what it does, the challenges it faces, but also the big difference that it's making in society. So thank you very much, Liz. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofold.